Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the HR Cartel Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Dive. Thank you for joining me once more. Once again, if you do like this podcast, please do me a favor and and, uh, follow the podcast or subscribe or like, whatever it is on the platform you're listening to this on. Give us a share, give us a follow, all that sort of stuff. It does help us out. In fact, we're getting contacted now by people who want to come on who are complete strangers um, that I don't know, and I'm happy about that because that means we're, we're being noticed. So... Um, thank you to those who are, who are listening and who are liking and following and sharing and all that sort of stuff. Really appreciate that. And the, the ultimate goal of all this is uh, really that we, we help smaller and medium-sized businesses who may not have the resources, funding and that sort of stuff available to pay top-tier industrial relations and, and HR people. And, ho- and hopefully we share some stories and, uh, and some nuggets of information that can help all those workplaces. So again, give us a follow, give us a like, give us a share. Much appreciated. You're already doing it. And uh, those who are who are starting to listen out, thank you for joining us and, and do the same. Thank you. What I might talk about today is um, something that occurred this week. We had a, um, a conciliation occur and it was a pretty easy one really. And, and um, we thought it might be good to talk about these easy claims to handle. Uh, name what they are, explain why they're the easiest ones to handle and why employers should not be worried about these types of claims. Uh, because, yeah, in all honesty, most employers that I've worked with will get a claim of some kind and no matter what the circumstances are or the, the, the surrounding factors around the claim, it's still a claim, right? It's a bad email to receive from the Fair Work Commission. <clears throat> Excuse me. And your, your instant reaction to that claim being received is one of, of, of usually and understandably panic. You know, have I done the right thing here? Have I done something wrong? Is there something I didn't do correctly? Am I going to have to pay out some sort of um, unfair dismissal payment or, uh, you know, whatever right might run through your mind? That's all natural. It's a natural response to getting a claim on your hands or a dispute. So, uh, but, you know, rest assured, there are circumstances where some of these claims are really easy to fend off. We'll talk about them now. Um, and hopefully if you are someone out there dealing with a bit of a claim right now and you're looking for a, for a HR or IR podcast, maybe you fit one of these um, situations or scenarios and this might help. But first off, so look, the, the different types of claims that, you, that you're going to see um, you know, let's let's talk about specifically post-termination. Let's say you, you've gone through uh, some employment uh, arrangement of some kind, casual, full-time, part-time, maybe independent contracting even. Um, maybe they're a gig worker, which is, you know, kind of in the spotlight lately with the Labor government's changes. A gig, work, a gig worker is someone who's who you use on a platform like, um, you know, like an Uber or a, or a Airtasker or a, um, a Fiverr or something like that. So you've gone through this employment term, right, with this employee, whatever type that is. Things didn't work out as planned. You've made a decision that's best for the business and both parties if you part ways. You terminate that arrangement and then next thing you've got an email from the Fair Work Commission with a claim on your hands that you've got to answer to. So what what happens then? Well, the very first thing is you, you, you've got to test the merits of the claim. So... Um, what I'm looking for here is do we have a jurisdictional objection? Because these are the when that occurs, that when you've got a jurisdictional objection that you can 
access or you can you know honestly uh, respond with. Um, that's the easiest way to put these claims to bed, right? And what does a jurisdictional objection mean? A jurisdictional objection is a situation where the Fair Work Commission does not have the jurisdiction to hear the matter. Now that means, let's say, for example, we'll, we'll run through a few a few of those scenarios, and you'll see what that means. But you know, typically, um, you're going to get an unfair dismissal claim post termination, or you're going to get uh, an adverse action or a general protections claim post termination. Post termination. So this is the first podcast of ours you listen to. I'll just explain what they are. Unfair dismissal is when the employee is claiming that um, the process or the decision or the scenario uh, was harsh, unfair, unjust, and unlawful, and it shouldn't have occurred, and they've now been terminated because of it, and uh, they put a claim against you saying you you got to, you should be penalised and pay them some compensation uh, because of your actions or be reinstated. The other claim that I mentioned there was a general protections or an adverse action claim, same thing. Uh, and, and that's essentially, that means that an employee has exercised a protected workplace right, a generally protected workplace right, which is where the term general protections comes from. And that might be something as simple as making a complaint, um, you know, raising a safety issue, complaining about a wage, asking for a pay rise, um, reporting, you know, like I said, health and safety or psychological, you know, psychosocial risks and hazards, um, you know, issues with the supervisor, you make a complaint against somebody, then you get sacked, that sort of stuff. Um, now, that happens quite a bit, right? Uh, because you might have someone in their first six months probation and they, they undergo some some scrutiny. You know, you've got a spotlight on those people because they're in a, they're in a probation period. You're trying to make sure they're right for the organisation, make sure that they were, they were a good hire, the right fit. Um, so you'll have these conversations with them and, and, and these are general performance management conversations, but they might be perceived otherwise. They might be perceived as uh, bullying harassment and when the employee says, hang on, I think I'm being bullied towards the end of that six-month period and then they lose their job a week after or two days after uh, because the probation period is coming to a close and you've got to make a call, pretty easy for them to draw a line between their complaint and the termination, right? That's a general protections claim. Okay, that they'll claim that the reason they were terminated was because they made a complaint. Um, when in reality, you know, we all know most scenarios, they're going to be because the person wasn't working out. There's a whole range of other factors around it um, that would justify the termination. So, um, they're, but they're the two typical claims that you're going to get as an employer after the termination's occurred. Of course, there are other claims during employment, you know, underpayments. Um, you know, bullying claims, harassment claims, um, all those types of things where the commission can um, issue a stop bullying order um, or they can, um, you know, ombudsman can investigate um, underpayment claims and get you to produce all sorts of documentation and, and evidence and then if they find underpayments, this is in the media um, quite frequently the last couple of years, the ombudsman's been coming down really hard on underpayments and they'll put you in court and they'll ask the federal court to actually come down quite hard on you. Uh, they're trying to make examples out of people. So that those sorts, those sorts of things do happen while people are still employed. Okay, you've got to be careful when that happens too because if you now go down a path where you're going to start performance managing someone because their performance has dropped off or their behaviour has gone bad because they've got a claim against you about bullying or an underpayment, 
but they're still employed with you, um, you've got to be careful how you, how you walk that path. Can result in, a, in an adverse action claim or an unfair dismissal claim, like the two we're talking about. Um, so, so look, we'll talk about the, 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 the claims that might come post-termination because these this is what we're um, – we, we dealt with this week and this is where the, the questions come about this week with some of their clients and um, looking at unfair dismissal and adverse action, right? Unfair dismissal, let's take a look at that. You've got a jurisdictional objection for a range of different scenarios in an unfair dismissal. So like I said before, jurisdictional objection means that the Fair Work Commission doesn't have the jurisdiction or the, you know, the right, the legal right to preside over a matter. Okay, it doesn't fit within their scope. Um, I've got a list here of things that I'll run through and I'll just give some explanations around it. Uh, but these are typically objections that the employer can have when an employee raises this sort of claim. So the, the, the first off is the easiest one is that they weren't an employee in the first place. Now, this would mean you're using an independent contractor agreement or something like that. Now, if you don't have a written contract in place, or if the contract you have in place is pretty much, you know, it's just frankly shitty, doesn't cover the scope of the of the the relationship, doesn't cover enough of the of the arrangements, um, leaves too much to ambiguity and and um, you know you can you can you may, maybe it's silent on a whole range of things where um, where it shouldn't be. But let's say your claim here is they're a volunteer worker or. Um, they're a uh, independent contractor, and they weren't an employee. Right? That's your jurisdictional objection. So when you get an unfair dismissal claim, and you've got to respond with a form F three, there is a section there where you can tick uh, a box for a, for a, for a jurisdictional objection. That's one of them. You know, the the the, the, empl- the worker was not an employee. That's one jurisdictional objection you've got. What might happen there? Now, you know, speaking from experience. Um, Typically, what should happen is that the um, the uh, you know, the conciliations might happen this week. They they happened even though there was a jurisdictional objection in, uh, not for this matter, not of this type. But the conciliation still happened. Conciliation is when the the Fair Work Commission will uh, the process is to have a conciliator call all the parties and try to settle the matter. Essentially, um, that's what, that's what they want to do. They try and settle it before it gets to a to a commission member. Um, so that, that might still happen. But the, the first step of, of that matter proceeding is that it has to go to a jurisdictional objection hearing where a commissioner will hear the evidence and the, and the arguments and decide, yeah, I can, I can proceed with this claim or I can't proceed with this claim because the Fair Work Act won't, let me to, won't allow me to do so. Um, so th- that's what will be decided here. Now, in this, in this particular type of, of, um, of jurisdictional objection, the employee will be claiming that sham contracting was happening. And that they didn't they didn't really play the the unknowing part in it um, that they were maybe had an independent contracting agreement imposed on them or they didn't really know that they entered an employment a uh, independent contracting agreement um, but it was sham contracting essentially that, that that's how it's going to work now I've I've experienced this where a commissioner won't say who and won't say the parties involved but a commissioner um, specifically said. This case has no. Um, I, I don't believe this case has any merits. I don't believe it has any plausible um, reason reason to be successful. However, the applicants, the workers, um, want their day in court. 
you know, that they, they were so adamant, they were so pushy and, and and refusing to settle the matter and and move on from the matter, that they were pushing and pushing and pushing and would not give up, would not change their views. Um, to the degree that the commissioner even said, "I don't agree. I don't think you're going to win anything here." But okay, I'll, I'll let it go on, um, and it went on, right? Uh, so just because you've got a jurisdictional objection, and just because the commissioner agrees with your jurisdictional objection, doesn't always mean they won't let it proceed to a to a hearing. Um, but be warned, you you will be subject in a scenario like that. You're probably going to get a cost application put against you when your matter when your when your matter fails, if your matter fails, or if you pull out after that point. Um, so uh, that's another that's a, probably a point for another another time or another another podcast. Uh, these cost applications. So you can you know a, a respondent or an employer can put a cost application against you and vice versa. Um, so we'll we'll park that one though. But that's that's one that's your first jurisdictional objection that the, the person was not an employee. Um, so uh, the next one, the person was not dismissed or they resigned voluntarily. That's another objection you can have to a claim that comes at you. Um, so there's two sides to this coin though, because if a person resigns and then puts in an application for unfair dismissal against you. What they're saying here is that it was a constructive dismissal. Essentially, they're claiming that the conditions were so bad, that the workplace and the environment was so bad that they, it was untenable for them to continue going. As such, the conditions themselves caused the termination, and that's unfair. That's pretty much what's what what the claim is, right? Uh, but um, and again, I, you know, I've, I've had these I've had these claims come come about before as well, where I've been representing a uh, an employer, a respondent. In the matter, and um, you know, you've got employees resigning and then putting in um, claims that they they had to resign. They had no other option but to resign. Um, you know, hard one to go down the path and and try to try to win for both parties. I think, especially for, for employers, especially if you don't have well documented history um, of behavioural issues, um, you know, value based issues, misalignment, performance stuff. You know, even if you're not in, intending on performance managing someone to the degree that that may result in them being terminated, sacked, you still got to make these records. You still got to do it. it. It happens time and time again. Um, because if this happens, if this type of if this type of thing happens, someone voluntarily resigns and then puts an unfair dismissal claim against you for a constructive dismissal. Um, you know, the Fair Work Act in a previous podcast, we spoke about this, the Fair Work Act requires the commissioner to believe everything the employee said unless the employer can prove it isn't so. How are you going to do that? With your records, with your diary notes, with your file notes, with your conversation histories, that sort of stuff. That's the only way you can prove that, right? Um, so that's – but that's your other objection. There's another, another objection there. Um, another one. The, the the worker was made genuinely redundant. That's an, that's an objection too. So if you've got people going through a redundancy process, uh, it's a genuine redundancy. You've gone through a consultation period. You've had their feedback and response. You've then made decisions. You've tried to you've tried to redeploy. You've tried to find other roles. You don't have them. Um, couldn't couldn't help it. Termination happened. They were genu- genuinely made redundant. Um, sometimes employees will put a claim in saying it was unfair, unfair dismissal. Uh, they didn't agree with your process or whatever it is, you know. 
Um, redundancies are bad for all people um, on all sides of the table. It doesn't feel good. I've been there hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times. Um, it doesn't feel good for any party going through that sort of process. So don't be surprised when someone feels like their back is against the wall. They're not going to agree with the way you're saying things. and I'll put a claim against you. But that is a jurisdictional objection again. You can object to the to the claim against you if that happened. And then you can put, instead of going into a hearing straight away, you can push that to a jurisdictional objection. And that's the easier way to handle that. Okay. Um, here's an interesting one that not many people know about. The high income threshold. High income threshold. Bear with me. I'm going to Google something. I'm going to Google what it is right now because every, uh, every July it goes up. Um, the high income threshold, what it means is that someone is being paid above this level. Um, it's, it's currently $167,500. Okay, that does not include superannuation. It doesn't include um, potential bonuses and uh, potential allowances and things like that. But it does, if you've got you contractually, you've got a guaranteed amount of $167,500 base salary or um, you know, a few other elements that may be counted, but it's contractually guaranteed that they're going to get that that income, um, then that person is paid above the high income threshold. That high income threshold of $167,500 pulls unfair dismissal uh, provisions away from employees who get terminated. Um, unless they're covered by a modern award, you know, very unusual, someone at that level's um, being covered by a modern award or they're part of an enterprise agreement or something like that. Um, now, you, you've got to have a contract in place that, you know, it's, a, it's, it's essentially a written guarantee. It's a written undertaking or a written guarantee that that person is going to receive that money as, as an income. Um, and if that's the case, then you've got a jurisdictional objection, okay? You can, you can object to this unfair dismissal claim. Uh, based on the fact they are paid above the high income threshold as such, they don't have access to the unfair dismissal provisions provided by the Fair Work Act. Um, so here's some advice around this. When you're hiring someone at this, in this, maybe it's a management position or a senior position, whatever it is, and um, they're, you're going to offer them 160, 155, 160, something like that, um, it, may be a, it may be a healthy idea um, or a cheap insurance policy to just pay them the high income threshold. Just pay that a little bit more, right? Because um, as as we get down the path, if things go really sour, things go really bad, you can just pull this person aside and say, look, it isn't working out for whatever reasons you've got. Okay? Now, not, not both parties will agree, obviously. Um, sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. But uh, this is a jurisdictional objection and you can rely on that you got to pay it. So if you're paying someone who's a, a high-income person and you're very close to this high-income threshold amount, um, some advice that I would commonly give is look, just pay the amount. Just pay the extra. Um, if it gets to that point in 8, 9, 10, 12 months' time, um, even longer, and uh, it's not working out, you've given it a go, but you just want to call, call an end to it, you're not going to be forced to be dragged into you know, two, three, four months of performance management to justify a decision to, to, to terminate this employee. They don't have access to unfair dismissal. You can just come and have a frank conversation, agree on the terms and depart. So there's a piece of advice on that. Um, actually, look, I shouldn't say it's advice. It's not advice, right? You've got, you've got an individual situation that's like that. Give me a call if you want specific advice. 
but that's just general general advice in in in, in its nature. Okay. Um, what else we got here? Fixed term contracts. Right. Here's another one that's come, that popped up recently, um, and uh, this one actually had some union disputes around it. Fixed term contract is a fixed term contract, right? When a fixed term period expires, so you've got a one-year fixed term contract and it ends on the 15th of September, 2023, which is today. Um, and uh, that contract, you, you give notice to that person that the, the end date is coming up or it's here and the contract is ending as per the contract. Um, there's no termination there, right? The fixed term just um, expired. If you don't terminate, if you don't notify, you don't confirm that fixed term expiry in some way and that person comes to work and you know, continued to be employed or paid um, uh, for employment for one year and one day, technically speaking, that employment becomes a full-time arrangement. Right, so when it, when you're approaching at the end of your fixed term uh, periods with your fixed term contracts, you really you really have to send some sort of notice. It can be a text message, it can be a an email, a letter, a formal thing, you know. But you've got to give notice and say, look, um, um, the the fixed term is ending on this date. Uh, thank you for your time, um, and and you'll be you'll be wrapped up then and paid your entitlements owed and, and that sort of thing. Just do that, right? Uh, but that's a jurisdictional objection as well or an objection of some kind because no termination happened. If you get an unfair dismissal about that, no termination happened, right? Um, the, the employment was always agreed to end on that date. Nothing changed. No one suffered any adverse action because someone made a complaint. The period ended, right? The contract was entered into knowing that was the end date. Um, so... Make sure though, like again, like I said, make sure that you, you, you're confirming the end date has happened and has occurred and don't let this person work for one day over the, the fixed term period without either extending the fixed term end date to another date, right? You can do that up to December this year. You can do that. After December this year, December 2023, uh, these fixed term contract rules change. So come back to me after that date and we'll talk about that then. But uh, you, know, you can extend that fixed term end date to a week ahead or a month ahead or three months ahead. Again, you can do that right now. Uh, but you can't just let it roll on without you know, formalizing that, that fixed term end date. You do that, you let it roll on without any, any correspondence, any, any firm agreement, any um, changed end date. There's no more end date. That person's a full-time employee, right? So uh, if you try and terminate them then, huh, good luck defending that unfair dismissal claim. So let's have a look here. Was not uh, was not a regular casual employee. Had no reasonable expectation of continuing employment. This is you know casual employees are so bloody dicey these days. You know it, it, it's it's almost harder to employ and and comply with casual employee laws, and that's that's by design, right? This the, the, the union's influence and, and the labor government's influence over casual employment. They hate it. They hate contractors. They hate gig workers. They hate casuals. Don't get me started on that, but. Um, you know, but that that is that is a um, uh, uh, an objection you can come up with. Okay, um, if a casual employee is claiming they were systematic and regular for a period of time, and they should have been made permanent, or they were permanent by default, um, and you can prove that they were a casual employee, there was no guarantee of ongoing employment. 
in that, you know, that's that term itself, no guarantee of ongoing employment. There's, you know, a number of ways that that might be assessed and, and judged. So um, it's not as, not as easy as it sounds, right? So be careful of, of using that, but that's an objection. Um, okay. Yeah, if an employee makes an application of unfair dismissal against, so, so let's say they make the application against the host employer, but they're actually employed by the labour hire employer. The direct employer was a labour hire company and the host employer ended the, the, the employment period. Um, that worker can't put the claim against the host employer. The employment contract was with the labour hire company. So if you're a host employer and you've got a claim in your hands and you didn't, you weren't actually the direct employer, then that, that's your objection right there, okay? Um, there was no employment relationship between you and the, and the, and the worker. Um, yeah, let's have a look at this. Making, making multiple applications against uh, a dismissal, you can't do that. What, you, what they can do though, let's say, let's say for example, they lodge an unfair dismissal application claim. And another objection here, by the way, while, while talking about this, We'll touch on this now, um, and we'll probably uh, we'll probably end on this on this uh, point, um, and join these two together. But essentially, you've got um, a specific time period where you have to be employed to qualify for unfair dismissal access. If you're an employer with more than fifteen employees. That's systematic and regular employees. For if you if you employ casuals as well, then that employee has to have six months of continuous service from day one. That doesn't mean they they're casual for three months, and then you make them permanent, and then their probation period or their qualifying period starts from there. No, it means from the first day of work, casual work time is is included in what's what the fair work refers to as the qualification period not the probation period, right? Qualification period means you have to work six continuous months and then you qualify for unfair dismissal provisions. But that's why probation periods are set at six months. If you're under 15 employees, then you've got small business fair dismissal code, which gives you an extra six months. So essentially you've got 12 months before an employee can make an application of unfair dismissal against you. Does not prevent them from making an adverse action claim. So let's go back to this point, right? Um, the uh, there's a specific time limit after dismissal that the employee can put a claim against you, and that's 21 days. Let's say the employee puts an immediate dismi- uh, unfair dismissal claim against you. They've only worked five months, and you've got seven days to respond. You'll respond with a jurisdictional objection saying they haven't worked six months. They can't make this claim. Um, now, Let's say we're now at 14 days of the termination. They've put the claim in. You've received the notification from the Fair Work Commission. You've responded within seven days. They've gone, oh, shit. Okay, I didn't realise that. I didn't realise I haven't been employed for six months and I can't put this application in. I'm going to withdraw that, discontinue that application, and I'm going to try a general protections claim instead because they can put general protections or adverse action claims against you regardless of how long they've worked for you. And, and that, again, that's, that's when we go back and we say they may have made a complaint and they've, they're going to claim that they suffered adversity or that you, you committed adverse action against them for making that complaint. 
or raising that safety issue or asking about money or claiming an underpayment or whatever it is, right? All those general protected workplace rights that employees have. Um, so that can happen, okay? That's why we, we, we I join these two things together. Um, the, the, the jurisdictional objection uh, uh, can be that um, yeah, they haven't worked six months or 12 months if, if you're a small business employer. Um, your jurisdictional objection can also be if they miss that 21-day window, right? So if they put their application in on the 22nd day after their employment was terminated, that's a jurisdictional objection. They're going to have to go and convince a commissioner why that commissioner should allow that claim to continue. And you'll have a chance to defend that and put your position forward as well. Um, but that's 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 an objection. Now, I've had one. I've never had I've never had a case where or a claim where they um, they didn't meet the time frame, the twenty one day window um, for the claim, and they put it in a bit too late, uh, and, and a couple of days late. They put it in a couple of days late, and I've never had a situation where a commissioner has let that go ahead. Um, but I would I would envision that. If you've got a vulnerable employee, let's say, for example, English is second language. Let's say, for example, a foreign worker, uh, maybe someone with a disability, um, uh, you know, someone with health problems who had to go to hospital um, and have some some support, uh, somebody who needed interpreters and things like that, whatever situation. Uh, those scenarios, I would imagine, would push a commissioner over the line are saying, well, okay, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here. There's enough evidence here that tells me that you probably uh, should have been given more time. Let's say, for example, that is you, you went to hospital, you know, you were in a car accident, you had an injury, um, you felt ill and you went to hospital for, for three weeks or two weeks or something and you're recovering for an extra week and then you came about, you came, became healthy enough to deal with this issue of being terminated. Um, something like that, I would imagine a commissioner would extend that and let them uh, put that claim in against you and, and proceed. But I haven't, I haven't had it uh, happen to me personally. Has happened. Commissioners will approve these things to go ahead in some scenarios, but um, it hasn't happened to me personally. Anyway, look, all those scenarios there, all those scenarios could mean that you can deal with whatever claim you get really easily. Okay, well, not whatever claim you get, but definitely unfair dismissal claims. Um, those scenarios spell out uh, that um, you know th th there's a th the very first thing you should be doing is checking all the elements of the of the situation, all the factors of the termination, the employment, the duration now with you, the reasons they were terminated, and just just check: do you have a jurisdictional objection? One of those reasons we just went through. Uh, do, do you have any of those to rely on? Because if you do, put that jurisdictional objection in in your form F3. And you may find that this claim is squashed pretty quickly. You're not going to have to put money into representation and all this sort of stuff to try and deal with it, okay? Keep that in mind. If you're dealing with a claim right now, listen to this again. Listen to this a second time because there could be the answer that you're looking for in this podcast um, and uh, you can learn how to deal with it pretty swiftly. Look, um, as always, jump on over to www.workplaceas.com. Check out some free resources we have there. Uh, check out more podcast episodes. Check out some blogs and advice and tips and all that sort of stuff. It's all there for you. 
um, and and also reach out, give us um, some feedback, give us uh, an email, and ask some questions. Tell us what you want to hear about. If you've got any concerns about upcoming law changes and things like that, let us know. We may even create a webinar series or something like that if we get enough um, inquiry about certain issues. So um, talk with us, join the conversation. You're always welcome. Uh, any specific questions, ask them directly, get in touch. Uh, until next time, keep a tight workplace and we'll speak again soon.